and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. Up first, he has strayed from the light side of the force and now he's turned to the dark side extortionist. It's Matt Morgan. So I really wanted to be a blacksmith when I was growing up, but I didn't really want to turn to a life of crime. I hear they're charged very often with forgery. Forgery. Hey, that's a that's a good one. I like the energy of that one. That's funny. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I kind of stole it. Well, you might say I was stealing the joke, but. <sighs> Deep breaths. I'm going don't, to be okay. Joey, <laughs> don't lose your temper on that one. It'll be temper. Okay. Oh, oh, damn the triple. <laughs> there that's, it is. Well done. Well, you, done. you may proceed. I, I've run out of jokes for this one. <laughs> that was awesome. Up next, he just says morning and not good morning, because if it was a good morning, he'd be playing EDH right now. It's Dana Roach. Did you know if you drink the fluid from a magic eight ball, you can see the future? <laughs> no, seriously, trust me. I know a guy who did it, and right after, he said he was going to be sick and die, and he got sick and died. <laughs> wow. Absolutely a thing that happens. Uh, he, you really hammered that one home, Dana. So it's, uh, <laughs> We are moving <laughs> on. Sparks are flying. <laughs> With our intros, you guys, holy wow. Oh. Anyway, listeners, we appreciate you. And this is the EDH RecCast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we like to do is give all of that data a little more context. Dana, tell us what is it that we're talking about in this week's episode. We are talking about our commander aspirations for 2022. Yeah, the things that we hope happen in 2022. We're kind of making this episode as a as a way of hopefully manifesting those things so that if we talk about them now, they'll Ooh. definitely happen, right? The the future site, the eight ball thing, Dana, is that what we're right? Right, exactly. That's That was the inspiration for sure. I mean, I think this is more of a foretell type of episode, not a... Uh... Uh, kind of, kind of a scry situation. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. If we're, if we're making those mechanic jokes, <laughs> yeah, it's a topic that we had touched on at the end of year episode that we did um, just a, a little bit ago at the end of 2021. But we actually want to go into more detail about some of the things that we hope we see in the sets coming in 2022, and the different things that we hope manifest themselves in EDH as well for 2022. So it should be a whole bunch of fun. Real quick, before we jump into our topic, let's pause and give a huge thank you to the folks at the Command Zone. They handle all of the post production work on our podcast making it look as spiffy as it does. And of course, we want to thank our sponsors for the show as well. The EDH RecCast is sponsored by Card Kingdom and TCG Player, the two online retailers that are the equivalent of getting ramp and card draw in mono white. <laughs> Just go to EDH Rec and click on the card in question. A down below will be a vendor link. Choose that and you can support both the site and the show. And if you would prefer to support the show directly while also still getting some awesome perks for yourself, you can do so over at patreon.com slash edhretcast. We have patron tiers of all levels, whether you want to join the awesome Discord community that we have going on, you want to get some awesome swag that we send out, uh, you can do all that and more over at patreon.com slash edhretcast. We even have a very special tier where this one person went to and they got a very special shout out for this episode. Give a shout out to Albert Lim, who... Uh, he didn't really go out on a limb oh, because Matt, he just Matt, no. signed up and went to EDH Redcast. You said you were out of jokes. None of that. <laughs> None of that. Albert Lim, thank you. The irony of me running out of blacksmith jokes is uh, real, real up there. No! Oh, my <laughs> Matt. But Albert, anyways, Matt. thank you for being a Patreon, or patron, I should say. Uh, we definitely appreciate the support. Thank you so much, Albert. And... 
uh, Matt, I'm I'm gonna need you to sit down. These blacksmith jokes, we can't. I'm not gonna be able to deal with it this episode. You are too dang good at this. Has he quenched your thirst for blacksmith jokes? Let's Joey? move on. Let's go to our main topic. We are talking about the things that we hope happen for EDH in this coming year, 2022. Let's uh, just, I guess, briefly overview the stuff that we know is going to happen in 2022. There are a whole bunch of sets upcoming, and we'll talk about those first and then get to some general hopes and aspirations later on in the show. For now, let's start off with the different sets that will be happening. This year, we're going to be seeing Kamigawa Neon Dynasty, Streets of New Capenna, Unfinity, and a new Commander Legend set, Battle for Baldur's Gate, as a Dungeons & Dragons theme. We're going back to Dominaria, and there will be a Brothers War set, which is like, whoa, we've even got other sets like Double Masters and Jumpstart, and I can't even imagine the number of pre-cons we're going to get this year, but let's just try and tackle those things one at a time. There's so much going, but let's start with Kamigawa Neon Dynasty. Dana, let's start it off with you. What is something that in this specific upcoming set is maybe something that you hope to see for EDH when it comes to those upcoming standard sets? Um, when you think back to Kamigawa, you know, I, I'm guessing they're going to try to call back to the original set. Um, so, you know, that was a very heavily uh, legend-influenced set. There was way more legendary creatures in it than we usually see. I, they probably can't recreate that since every set is legend matters <laughs> these days, kind of. I mean, you're not, you're not wrong. We do get like 30 legends every set yeah. now, and that's a lot less specific to a Kamigawa setting. It's, it's sort of just like everywhere now. Yeah, you're absolutely right. <laughs> Um, what I would like to see them revisit is maybe some of the other legendary themes we saw. We got a cycle of legendary lands first time through in Kamigawa. There was kind of a minor theme of legendary equipment in the set. Hmm. I'd like to see a little more of that, I think. More legendary lands come back, legendary equipment. Just things that are legendary besides legendary creatures I think would be fun. There's plenty to call back to with the previous set. Kamigawa is a set with pretty deep history. Um, so that, that's something I'd like to see them, them reference for sure. Well, well, Dana, you said uh, there were a, a large number of legends, com I would say, compared to what we were getting back then, because right, right, if you would have made yes. Kamigawa, the original Kamigawa block now, it would just blend it in. Like it, right, it, it would just it used be, to be set. Yeah, it, it used to be Legends Matter, but every set since War of the Spark has had a Legends Matter sub-theme, they just haven't said it. Um, <laughs> right. And so I would like to see... I'm expecting with the return to Dominaria, with how many legends we got the first time around there, mm. we're going to get so many legends that I hope instead of everything is a legend and and all of that, I hope that they make the legends that are around matter as opposed to literally everything is a legend. Uh, because when we had some stuff like that, like Kamigawa block, like there was a lot of lore, there was a lot of story that was unexplored. So I'd like to see some of the main characters really get a spotlight because that's one thing I feel at least in the cards themselves of the past couple sets, we've kind of had that lost. Mm. You don't know who the main character is because there are so many characters. Um, so letting a main character kind of stand out, I hope that they do this, especially with the Brothers War set, because I remember reading the novels when I was a kid. That was one of my favorite things. And I remember the sets most vividly by who the main characters were. I don't know who the main characters were of the past, and I would like to see who the big players in Kamigawa are. So a, a thing that's kind of been theorized online is that since we saw Vornklex suddenly appearing in Kaldheim last year, that potentially in Kamigawa upcoming, we'll also see one of the Praetors has been infiltrated into this setting as well. Most people are speculating, I think, that it would be the Jingataxius character. Matt, is that maybe a thing that you'd like to see in the story as well? Like, are we getting, you know, inklings of the beginning of Phyresis spreading around the multiverse? Is that the type of story that you'd be into? Or is that not a thing that you want to see when it comes to story or is that too specific i don't know a lot of that is kind of wishful thinking people saw it 
once and they want it to become the norm. I, if it happens, it happens. Like that's great. I I enjoy being surprised. Uh, okay. I don't like to speculate a lot because I like to see what other people come up with and create. So as far as the the praetors being around, I don't have. I haven't seen anything that makes me believe it's going to happen at all, much less Jin Texas specifically. So if it happens, cool. I want to see how they express that. If not, I'm not going to be disappointed either because I think letting stories stand on their own is also a good thing. I, I, I want to make a bet. I feel like you and I should make a bet because okay. I hope it does. Okay. I do want to see it. That is okay. But wasn't that good. also rumored in Strixhaven that it didn't come to pass? Like that was true. the one everyone yeah. was talking about as well. Yeah, very true, Dana. Very true. Here, here's a, uh, you know, we can decide on the terms of that bet later, Matt. For now, let's move on to another okay. thing that I, I do personally expect I, to see. I, I will put my monocle on and we'll have a gentleman's <laughs> bet. <laughs> okay. Um, it, here's the thing that I specifically expect that we'll see in Kamigawa. And then I am also excited to see how this um, evolves is also we've seen the shrines appear here in Kamigawa settings throughout uh, different sets before. We had um, them in the original Kamigawa set. We had those Hondins, and then they also, we had new uh, shrines appear in a core set as well, along with a five-color shrine, which was certainly, you know, a whole bunch of fun. But they had a small, weird evolution among them where the first shrines had to deal with the upkeep, and then the next shrines had to deal with the main phase. So I would bet that if we see new shrines in this upcoming Kamigawa set, that they will have stuff to do on the end step. That is my hope, that we'll see a new evolution of how the shrines work, and maybe even that we get a another dedicated five-color shrines commander. A lot of players have defaulted to Captain Sisse, uh, the five-color version of her to have a shrine deck, but I wonder if we might see another legend that also is very shrine-specific to help flesh out that uh, recurring theme that we've seen throughout that setting. So that's something that I'm putting out there into the universe and hoping that we get to see, especially with the end step focus, because it would be another area for the shrines to explore. See, I would absolutely love that because unlike Cody, the Codex, uh, or just any any just very general and broad five color commanders having something specific to to kind of dial in. So you know a five color commander, but it really only benefits Shrine Tribal. Mm. I think that would be very very cool to see. Uh, I I like that they're giving us a lot of different options for very specific themes, and so continuing down that path, especially in, in Neon Dynasty, I think that'd be a great move. Mm-hmm. So let's move now to another set that we know is upcoming. And Dana, this is one that you have some thoughts and feelings about, specifically Streets of New Capenna, which we've heard will be a three-color set upcoming. I'm not sure if we've confirmed whether it will be a shard set or a wedge set. Um, so if it will be like, you know, the Jess guys and the teamers, or if it will be more of the espers and the bonds and stuff like that. But Dana, what specifically is something that you are excited to see or hope to see when it comes to Streets of New Capenna? The, the flavor of this set I like. I like the idea of of multiple crime families. It's kind of a weird thing we haven't really seen before um, on a magic plane for sure. I think there's a lot of um, kind of trope-ish things they can explore with crime families, um, whether it's like the traditional American view of you know, the mob looking at things like Al Capone or even up to the Sopranos. There's a lot of ground they can tread kind of referencing things there. If you want to expand the lens to the world, there's a lot of other kind of regional tropes they can explore that might also overlap with other sets. We are getting, you know, things like ninjas and Kamigawa Neon Dynasty. They could very easily, you know, reference things like the Yakuza or something as one of the color um, combinations for for that particular crime family as well. So I think there's a lot of interesting things they could do there. Um, you know, even like one of them could be pirates or something. Pirates are basically just mobsters with scurvy, right? So there's a lot of <laughs> ground they can tread in terms of different themes for the individual shards or wedges. And I'm going to guess wedges because we just got shards fairly recently. Uh, other um, way around, we got wedges recently when it came to Ikoria. We did. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah, sorry. Yep. 
Um, so, so I'm going to guess that they will do the opposite this time, and maybe we'll get some triumphs as well. Um, but, but that catches my eye more than anything. I, I'm really interested in the in, in the kind of flavor of this set versus maybe the mechanics. Also, in part, because I don't love three colors. It's just too many choices. Um, so I'm kind of focusing on the, the the flavor here versus the mechanics to a degree. Mm. Well, I, I'm out of things to add in because Dana looked ahead and stole my notes about uh, triomes being completed would be a nice touch <laughs> if they do do shards. Um, but yeah, no, I think that just they don't get very many opportunities to do three color lands um, since we did get the the wedge triomes. Having the shards would be a nice touch. Um, but other than that, like New, New Capenna, like, like I mentioned kind of about Neon Dynasty, I have no real expectations. I hear there's going to be some demons and, and some some very cool kind of creature types. So I would like to see how those are expressed. Um, but as far as what I'm looking for, man, just just give us some three-color support and that'd be neat. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. It's I <laughs> Three colors, Dana, as you mentioned, it has a lot of options and it can be certainly very popular when you are able to play all of your favorite stuff, but it also can be difficult as a result of that. So it is a, a tough ground to look through. And the last time that we had a three-color set, there were certainly a lot of very popular standouts. It'll be interesting to see how that evolves. I'm hoping personally, since we haven't had a shard-specific set in a while, that those are the color combinations that we look back to, um, more like the Jund and stuff. And it would be cool to see new evolutions in those three-color combinations because I feel like we do yeah. have a definite expectation of what each color combination is about. And I like it when a set comes along that breaks us out of those, the way that Strixhaven did for the Boros color combination or specifically the Lorehold combination. And it was able to expand our way of thinking about that color combination. That is a, definitely a thing that I would love to see is like, I have one expectation of what Jund has always meant. And now I can explore those colors in a new different type of theming that, um, I don't know, I just think it makes for a really nice exploratory gameplay uh, when we're able to do stuff like that, I guess. Well, and on the theming topic too, kind of like what Dana hinted to, if they do go go forward with shards, I'm really curious how the the Naya, the the red, green, and white shard, and then the Bant or, or Bant, excuse me, I'm not, I don't have an aunt. Um, but the, <laughs> I'm sorry the, the, the I pronounced it weird, Matt. I'm sorry. The, the, the green, the green, white, and blue shard. Um, how those are expressed in organized crime because you don't really think of those as very like criminally minded color combinations. So how those fit into that world, I think actually is going to be kind of interesting to see too. Yeah, yeah. Bend those colors around, put them into new scenarios and force them into to new things because that can cause a lot of very interesting things to happen. It's a cool place to explore. Um, moving away from the self-serious streets of Nuka Pena, what it sounds like with the those those crime stuff, you know, uh, that it's, that is focusing on there. There's also going to be that Unfinity set that comes out. And really, I only have one hope for Unfinity, and that's that there aren't any misprints for it, because instead of <laughs> silver borders, they're going to be using the Acorn Hollow stamp. And that's like, I, I don't know, there are feelings to be had about that choice or whatever, but I just found it objectively hilarious that Wizards of the Coast messed up the Acorn Hollow Stamp thing in the article that was devoted to explaining what the Acorn Hollow Stamp thing is. There was a wrong version of it in that very synthesis. So I just hope that that doesn't, that, that I hope that just remains as a thing that happens online with the images and not a thing that happens in the actual cards with the images. So that's that's my, my really only hope when it comes to Unfinity. I hope it is kooky and zany and all types of fun, but I hope that we don't get any misprints that might cause confusion. That's my only hope for that very silly set. That That's my big hope too for that set is uh, I just, I hope as, there's as little confusion about what is able to be played in regular commander and what's not. Uh, I, I'm not hopeful, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah. This will be the set where I will just wait till it's all done and I'll go to Scryfall and filter by 
new cards that are commander <laughs> legal and just pay attention to those 40 or so cards where we wind up getting mm-hmm. and ignore the rest of it. If, if you are someone who's into unsets, great. It's going to be a bit of a breather for me, and that's fine. Yeah. I, I also specifically hope that the aesthetic remains very silly rather than any of the cards being super powerful because it's just like, let's just let things stay silly. I want to be surprised if I see any of those cards, and I don't want to feel like the the, the mm-hmm. silly set has a bunch of stuff that I need to play. That's always a, a terrible feeling when new sets come out. It's just like, I don't want to see more, quote, staples for a format. I want to just let the sets rest alone as their own good times. Um, moving away from infinity, the infinity, then, let's talk about another good time that is coming up. Commander Legends was a whole lot of fun in the past, and now we are going to be having a Commander Legends 2 Battles uh, for Baldur's Gate, which is a D&D themed set. But as the Commander Legends experience, like this is, there's a whole bunch of stuff that could happen here. Dana, let's throw it back to you. Is there anything that you hope to see in this revisitation to two different things that we've already had in Magic, both the D&D theming Commander and- Legends 2 Baldur Boogaloo yep. <laughs> is the set I'm looking forward to most this year. Um, Commander Legends 1 was amazing. And if it's just you know, all the stuff from that set repeated, that'll be good enough for me. The, the Baldur's Gate component doesn't necessarily do much for me. I, just because I don't know the lore, like it's not, that's not particularly important to me. But who cares? Like, I mean, it, it, it's still going to be a Commander Legends set, right? So even if you don't know any of the Baldur's Gate stuff, you're still going to get a bunch of cool Commander Legends cards. It's got value added for D&D fans. And that's a great too. Um, for specific things I'd like, I would kind of like to see the will cycle that we got the first time around, that's very easy to repeat. Those were all fantastic cards. Mm. I'd like to see them maybe have a go at that again. That's one thing I kind of am looking forward to. So so like the uh, the Jessica's will and the Akroma's will? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, new versions of those. Okay. Yeah, so like th- that's something they could they could definitely repeat, and I, I'll be totally down for that. Um, this is also a great place to reprint stuff as well. Um, so I'm I'm always looking forward to like Mystic Remora needs a reprint. Concordant Crossroads needs a reprint. This is the kind of place where they could do that, or they can they can give us foils of cards that haven't had foils before that we've been waiting for years. Whether it's like Nature's Lore or the Medallion Cycle, so there's mm. a lot of room here for um, not only cards that are just useful in this set, but like you know they can check off some things off lists of things commander players want. So. There's a lot of things that can and probably will happen here, and I'm looking forward to all of it. Gotcha. Matt, how about you? Uh, well, I would definitely second the having the will cycle repeated. Uh, some of the, the It let us know, A, who the key figures were in the set, kind of whatever story was going on, but also mm. they're just great cards. Jessica's will yeah. was such a sleeper. Like Everyone kind of underestimated that card when it was released, and now all of a sudden it's, like, it's a $10 card because... People realized, oh, holy cow, this is this is kind of sweet. So, yeah, cards like that, I, I absolutely love that cycle. Uh, as far as something that I would like to see, uh, I also was not big into the D&D stuff. So cards like Druid Class and, and You Find Some Prisoners were very actually cool to circle back to because even though I didn't really get the flavor on those specifically, having modal cards that if you play D&D, you got a little bit of that callback. Mm. But if you didn't, like you still got some very good modal cards that, you know, were very, very playable in, in most instances. And like the, the class cards, those were just, I think they were well executed. They're a good way to kind of have saga style cards where you just get a bunch of value out of it. Oh, Mana yeah, sinks yeah. if you need it. Uh, so just ways, t- I just love how they 
they gave people the callbacks they wanted, but also if you didn't pay attention to it, you still got something cool out of it. Like they were still interesting yeah. cards at least. Um, so I would just like to keep seeing that is even if you don't get the reference to Baldur's Gate, like I played the the computer game on my PC way back in the day. Um, I don't remember anything about it, but also um, if the callbacks are there, that's fine. But having cool cards in general, I think that's very fun to see. So this is a set that I'll admit I probably have the most amount of trepidation for because as we saw with the previous draft environment for Commander Legends, there were quite a lot of partners. And partners are a great way to make the draft portion of that set work. But they also took a very long time for the first Commander Legends set. And I just hope that with this quick turnaround to revisit that idea that they've had enough time to balance any new partners that will most likely inevitably come out of this set too. And so it's just a big fingers crossed moment for me because more partners means a lot of combinations. And I just hope that they all work fine and don't do, you know, the Vile Smasher Thrasios things that we saw the first time. You know, that's that's one of my big trepidations. And I just have my fingers crossed that it will all be smooth and fine. I think that's a reasonable concern that I also share with you a little bit, Joey. There's an old saying that a, a band that spends its entire career writing their first album and then they have six months for the second one. Exactly. Th there's an element of that here, I think, for sure. So I, I, I get that. Just, yep. So I'm just manif I'm willing it into the universe. That's all I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> I would have that concern, but I think with what we saw from most of Commander Legends, the original partners, they realized the mistakes that we got a lot of dialed back partner designs. There were some still some fun ones like uh, Rugrat or R Rograk. <laughs> Sorry, excuse me. Um, yeah. Dana's embedded that that slang into my vernacular. Uh, but I, I'm not too worried about that. Yes, I, I do agree, but I'm maybe a little less concerned than, than the both of you are. Yeah. So here are some uh, other things, too, that I am kind of a little bit more excited about, I guess, for this set, too, is that, I mean, have you noticed that there aren't any enchantment partner commanders? There aren't, there are several that deal with artifacts, but I don't think there are any that deal with enchantments. And I think that that could be something fun to look forward to for a new partner design. Um, and also, when it comes to the lore of D&D, there is a famous sorcerer named Tasha in this lore. And my entire family plays magic with me, including my mom, whose name is Tasha, and we desperately want there to be a commander for Tasha. We want Tasha to be able to make a Tasha deck that just, I want that, that needs to be a thing. Watsi, let us build a Tasha deck for Tasha. And actually, while you're at it, can you also make a legendary kangaroo so that Joey can build a Joey deck? Because that'd be great. <laughs> I mean, that means we need a, a welcome mat so I can build a mat deck. <laughs> and I don't think that, that sounds very fun at all. So we'll just, we can, we'll skip. We skip. Partner that with Cody, the uh, Codex, the, the, the walking mat. <laughs> Um, Maddie the Maddie the floor mat. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> the the last thing that I'll note, and this is a little bit more critical when it comes to this, is that also for Commander Legends too. And for the original Commander Legends, we saw a lot of the advertising for it from Watsi saying it will contain powerful white cards, and it kind of contained a powerful white card. Um, and then there were things like <laughs> Seraphic Greatsword, and I'm just like, I hope that the marketing is a little bit more honest about it this time. That's, this is my only thing. It's just another another tidbit that I want to acknowledge and that I hope the Commander Legends 2 indeed impresses us with powerful white cards, plural. Let's move on to the Brothers War. <laughs> Let's talk about that. Dana, tell us about what you might hope to see from the Brothers War set coming up next. Um, you know, I've talked about flavor once already, but I guess I'll do it again. This is a perfect opportunity to reach back into Magic's history and give us cards finally for characters that have been referenced um, in the past of Magic, you know, going back all the way to Alpha Unlimited, um, you know, up through Antiquities. You have characters like Drafna or Herkel or Jix, 
Um, I believe it's Gix. I'm Gix, pretty sure it's Gix. Well, 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 it's, is, it, is it GIF or GIF? That's the it's question. More, or banter bond, I guess. <laughs> Either way, um, <laughs> we can get those characters. We have a really weird Mishra, kind of, that's semi-EDH playable with Possibility Storm, I guess. But we could get a less narrow Mishra along the way. Um, there's a, just a lot of room to tap into that era of Magic's history here. And I want to see all of it. I'm really, really looking forward to this kind of back-to-back dose of, of Magic lore between this and the, the next set we'll talk about after this. Yeah. I, Watsi, I need an Ashnod. We've seen Ashnod's altar for years and years, and it's really good. It's one of my favorite sacrifice outlets. I love you for making that. But who who made the Ashnod's altar? I need an Ashnod card, and I need it yesterday. Inject that into my veins. I cannot wait <laughs> for an Ashnod character. Joe, and I hope it happens we do here. have an Ashnod. We do have an Ashnod card um it's just a vanguard card that nobody even knows exists anymore because <laughs> yeah that's true at the risk of sounding like dana back in my day we had a <laughs> vanguard format gonna rule zero that for you into play that there we go there we go um but as far as like the set like, this was when i first got into magic um when i was a kid so i'm very excited about this i read all the brothers war novels uh believe it or not i can read um i know it surprises <laughs> some of you but Ooh. uh just callbacks to some of these novels i'm so excited about because it was there was so much story going in there and, and as much story as in lore as we say Kamigawa Neon Dynasty could have. Brothers War and Dominaria too. Like that this is where I'm very excited because this is just calling back to when I first got into the game and, and really got into it. So I just want to see some of the, the, the flavor, some of the 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 groundwork for a lot of what they had going on there. We had Antiquities, which was kind of okay, the Brothers War happened and this is the after effects. So we could see what happened like as it was going on. Mm. And I'm I'm very excited about just that stance about some of the cards and how they're going to be expressed. I'm I'm also very excited. You mentioned there this leads into not just the Brothers War, but also Dominaria United is another set coming up. And to return to Dominaria, I mean, the Dominaria set that we had, which contained those famous things like Moldrotha, for example, who is still among like the top 10 most popular commanders ever. Like, yeah, that was a banger of a set. And so it's really exciting to go back to that setting as well to see what else is going on with it. Dominaria United does have me just very excited I, specifically, one of the things I am really, really hoping to see from this setting is more stuff that expands, like the Lyra Dawnbringer that we had from that set, which was an angel tribal commander, but it was mono white. I would love to see a new version for like Boros angels or even black white angels, because we had some black white angel stuff going on in Kaldheim, but it didn't give us a fully dedicated angel commander from that set for that color combination. And I would love to see Dominaria, a, a plane that is famous for its angels, have more to do with angels as a tribe that it can expand and, and learn and grow more about itself. And so that is a thing that I'm especially hoping to see in addition to the story stuff that you mentioned. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just a one-two shot of, of amazing chances for lore callback to those things that when you first started playing the game and reading old cards, you were just so kind of mesmerized by in the storyline and wanted to see more of. And this is a chance to like get those things on cards 30 plus years later for, for some people. Um, these sets are, are going to be fantastic. And I, I, I don't think I've been as excited for two kind of standard releases as I am for Brothers of War and Dominar United. This is absolutely what I want. Nice. Yeah, Dana, I'll be your geriatric partner here, and just I'm great. I'm Thank very you, excited for for all the callbacks and 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 also too like 
they spend a lot of time on new sets building this whole new world, but the world is already built for them. So all they have to do is just expand upon mm -hmm. that for Brothers War and Dominaria United. Uh, I'm excited to see what they add into the universe because they, they don't need to come up with this whole new thing. Uh, they just need to keep adding interesting things. And the, the last Dominaria set was very, very cool. They had the story to go along with it. Um, I would love to see that continued. Yeah, and Matt, we can have dinner at like four o'clock and then go watch Matlock reruns. Go go over to the Sizzler and watch Murder exactly. Show. That sounds like a wonderful night. Okay, but hopefully in whatever set we get, we get fewer of the objectively powerful Muldrothas or the accidentally sure. powerful yeah, Tatiovas. Sure. You know, just randomly uncommon, most popular Simic commander just sitting right there in the uncommons of this set. You know, so I'm excited for it. But again, trepidatious. I hope that things are, are kept in line a little bit when it comes to the commander focus that we get from them. You guys are an absolute, you guys are hysterical. I, I hope you have a good 4 p.m. dinner. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and, and Joey, I know you're very concerned about getting another Tatiova, but for every Tatiova, there's a trash Capuchin. Well, excuse me, Raph Capuchin. <laughs> oh, um, shots fired, sir. Oops, I shouldn't say that. Like, Raph is fine. I have Raph in my Alila Historic Tribal deck. It works fine. But there there are plenty of legends out there that are just, what was it, the, the Rorix Bladewing? They're just not good. The Varix. Varix, there yeah. it is. Yeah, I see it's it's so good I can't even remember the name. <laughs> it's got seven decks on EDH Rex. So yeah, there's there's plenty of those. Yeah, for every tattoo over, there's there's plenty of uncommon legends that um we just don't care about. All right. Let's let's quickly here. I think we're all gonna have the same answer for this next set that we know is coming up. Uh there is going to be a return to the double masters, all reprint set. So double masters 2022. Um so let's quickly talk about how we want good reprints. We would like to have more reprints. This is We want them across all of the sets. We want them across all of the precons. But since this is a reprint explicit set, I figure this is a good time for us to say, Watsi, we would love good reprints, please. It would be delightful. This is a great opportunity to do it. Let's keep going with good reprints, please. <laughs> Just yay. More here. Yeah, I mean, you 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 covered you coupled covered it right there, Joey. I just want them to put good cards to lower prices for everyone. Um, that's it. Yeah, I, I mean, also, also the, the the first doubling the first double masters. Yeah, yes, there there weren't very many doubling cards um, <laughs> as much as we were led to believe, but it was still a very fine set. There was tons of reprints in there. I just want to see them do it again. That, Matt, that's exactly what I was about to say. Is that like. The first double master set contained a doubling season and then like no other cards that said double or doubling on them really much, like no doubling cube or spark double or, or any of those. And so I'm just like, you could lean a little bit more into that or cards that have more to do with double. Like this would be a great place for, you know, branching evolution, which puts twice as many counters on your stuff or anointed procession, which makes twice as many tokens. Like I would love to see more of those. Seems like a good opportunity. And those cards are redonkulously expensive. So let's hopefully this is just a good opportunity to have good reprints. But that is also true of basically every set this year. This is just an all reprint set, so we'll give it a special mention here. But man, it would be nice to not have Signets be $5 sometimes. That's 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 just where I'm at. Or that two-headed dragon reprint we've been wanting for a long time. Uh, no. What? <laughs> what? Two-headed? Two, two. It's a double. Two. <laughs> I, okay, do you want the two-headed ogre then too, Dana? I, you... uh, yeah, might as well. That, that's a real card, maybe. I don't know. Dana, you're old. I, I think you need to get your geriatric partner there and check. I, uh, let's, let's. <laughs> oh, the, the, the geriatric jamboree has come to a close. <laughs> All right. Let's go to the final set that we're talking about here. That is Jumpstart. They are going back to Jumpstart 2022 edition. And that was just a revelation of a product the first time it came around as far as I'm concerned. So here's, here's the thing that I want from an upcoming Jumpstart set. 
I want it to succeed and I want to be able to play it with people because that wasn't a thing we had the opportunity to do much the first time around. And I thought it was just such a dang good product and I want to be able to actually do it in the real life. So jumpstart so many hopes and dreams riding on you, my friend. Yeah. Where, where are your masks people? Because I want to play jumpstart in person. Uh, there it is. I, I, that's, that's all I want. Like my, my, so my hope for Jumpstart is the same as Commander Legends. I want a chance to play it as intended in person. That's there it is. all I want. It, it, it's yeah. kind of the mythological set that supposedly exists, but no one's ever actually seen. And, and we're already <laughs> getting a sequel to it. So yes, this, this is the thing that, that looked amazing the first time. And the few people I know that got to experience it really enjoyed it. I hope I can be one of them this time around. J- Jumpstart is the cryptid of the magic world. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they're just, they're really cool designs going on in there. You know, yeah. they were just like, randomly we had Seth Rune, a Minotaur legend, just sneaking around in Jumpstart. Like just what a cool place to have really strange designs to explore. It's not, you know, as, as bidden by some of the expectations of standard sets or things like that. So Dana, like you mentioned with some of the off the wall reprints, uh, that could be another great place to have even more of them. Hopefully they are, you know, more easy and consistent to acquire given the way that Jumpstart is actually printed. It can sometimes be difficult to get some of those good reprints. But, you know, the previous one had Greater Hoof Behemoth as a reprint, and that is the level of reprint that would be really cool to see across a whole bunch of products. So, again, with the reprints, I'll, I'll shush about those now. I, I think that we need to, to move away from that, but I'm like, oh, just jumpstart. I've just, I've got heart eyes. I just, I just want to play it. That's all I want to do. I, I will download Arena to play jumpstart. That's, <laughs> that's how much I want to play. Bold. That's bold, Pat. <laughs> that is bold. Go. Dana, you need to get your geriatric uh, friend. In, in the, never mind, never mind. That joke is retired. <laughs> hey, Grandpa's talking to the water heater again. Go get him. <laughs> okay. Check his meds. Let's let's take a break from now that we've looked over all of those different sets. And there are other things we didn't mention, like, you know, new secret layers and all of those. They're the pre-cons. There's going to be a whole bunch of stuff. But there are also some general hopes that we have for what's upcoming in 2022. And we will get to that in the back half of the show. But for now, let's pause and challenge some stats because it is one of our very favorite segments here on the podcast. There's so much data on EDHREC, but we don't always agree with it. Sometimes we think the cards see too much or too little play. So we love challenging the stats every single episode. The the challenge I have here today is for the card wedding announcement, um, in particular in Odric Master Tactician decks, um, but basically any mono white deck where you're going to be attacking with creatures, which is almost every mono white deck, because that's basically how you win most of the time. Um, wedding announcement is two and a white for an enchantment, and at the beginning of your end step, you put an invitation counter on it, and if you attack with two or more creatures, this turn you draw a card, otherwise you make a 1-1 white human creature token. Um, and then the card flips when there's three or more counters on it, and it becomes an anthem to give your creatures plus one, plus one. Um, Odric in particular just does what wedding announcement wants to do. It wants you to attack with creatures for Odric to even work, so like, if you're playing Odric, that's what you're doing. You're playing mono white, so you need card draw. You should just be running wedding announcement in an Odric deck. And it's only in three literal decks in the EDH rec database of the 700 Odric decks. Um, mm. It just should be in way more. And again, if you are playing some kind of a mono white deck that's attacking with creatures, you should just be running it. It's a really, really good way to draw cards. It's in 10% as many decks as Secret Rendezvous. 10% as many decks as Secret Rendezvous. That seems like an oversight, and I, I think people need to uh, take a long look at that card. Yes, the numbers are skewed because it's only been out for, you know, two months compared to eight or ten for um, Secret Rendezvous, but it just should see more play. So wedding announcement is a 
very decent card in uh, white attack decks, and, and you should give it a look. And and can I just say real quick, Secret Rendezvous, <laughs> you know, the three-mana spell where you... I was waiting for this, Joey, from you. Each draw three cards. Every time, I've seen that card in EDH games like eight times now, and every single time I've seen it show up in EDH, the person who got the free cards won the game. <laughs> I know that it is per, per, like perfectly just anecdotal evidence. So if it has been successful for other people, that is good and fine. And that is, I'm just saying, in my experience, the person who's got the free cards has always won the game every time I've seen that card. So well, I'm just like now, Joey, maybe that's the purpose of the card. Maybe you're framing <laughs> it incorrectly. I I am willing to accept that. But you know what? I'm not willing to accept. I'm not willing to accept the numbers on my challenge for this week. <laughs> nice. Masterful segue. That, I no. have our. <laughs> Don't make fun of me, Matt. Um, that segue. Except right off a cliff. Definitely make fun of me. Um, okay, my uh, challenge here is actually one of our listener-submitted challenges. This comes from our listener, Ben Caster, which, by the way, great last name. That is awesome. Who's got a suggestion for Yarok the Desecrated, which is the Sultai commander that doubles up all of your ETB effects. Specifically, Ben points out that the card... Oubliette, or if you're Dana, Obliute, <laughs> the card Oubliette, the one that phases out an enemy creature, and if the Oubliette ever gets removed, then it comes back tapped. Oubliette, that is an enters the battlefield trigger. When it enters the battlefield, you phase out one of your opponent's things. So with Yarok in play, you could do the phase out of two different things. It makes the removal spell twice as effective. That's bonkers, especially because Oubliette is like a really powerful way of like making sure your opponents just do not have access to their commanders because they can't even recast it because it's phased out. It wasn't put back into the command zone. This is only showing up in 161 out of the 4,800 Yarok decks on EDH Rec. And uh, Ben, I agree with you. That seems uh, really low. And also, dang, that's nasty synergy. So well spotted. Yeah, this definitely sounds familiar, Joey. I think I challenged Al Ubliet, um fairly <laughs> <laughs> in the not distant past on, on, on a different series of commanders. It's just a great card, so people probably should run it more in general for sure. Aliubliet, I just were the, the the name, the pronunciation that we're given. Aliubliet free. <laughs> Exactly. I am excited to see how this continues to evolve throughout the course of this coming year. Matt, let's round it out with your challenge. So my challenge this week, it, it popped up actually. Um, so if you follow CAG member, Commander Advisor Group, uh, Shivambat, he's always posting random cards from Scryfall. And every now and then there there's just cards that you see and you're like, how is this not played in more decks. Uh, so the card that Shivam posted recently uh, for me that I think is being a little underplayed is Layweaver. Um, and you can kind of say this also partners up with Loreweaver. So both of those, they're only playing about 2000 decks total. Um, and so Layweaver is three and a green for a uh, human druid 2-2 two -two that has partnered with Loreweaver, but you can tap it to untap two target lands. And then Loreweaver is the blue version of that uh, where you can pay five blue-blue to draw a card. Now, that doesn't sound great, but if you're playing some big mana decks like, say, Krufix God of Horizons, uh, then this card, both of these cards actually, they seem to get a little bit better. So Krufix God of Horizons, is, it just basically banks all of your unspent mana, turns it into colorless mana. So Layweaver, being able to untap two target lands, you can float two mana, untap them, float two more mana, 
and you're basically doubling up on those for, for Crucifix, but also Loreweaver gives you a chance to have a mana sink. I know, Joey, you're a big fan of Stone Cedar Hierophant, mm-hmm. uh, which makes a lot of mana. Um, there's Ar- uh, Argothian Elder, which also is able to untap two target lands, but I like Layweaver specifically because the floor is higher than with Hierophant, um, but also it gets you a mana sink because of the partner with, or that you're just able to tutor up the other missing piece. Uh, I think these are both great. They're both played in about 2,000 decks total, but only 19 Crufix decks are currently playing Layweaver. And even if you just need a really good, really good mana dork, I think Layweaver is a really good option, especially considering all the lands out there in the in the format now that make more than one mana, whether it's uh, Nykthos or uh, Ancient Tomb even. There's a whole bunch of lands that make lots of mana, and I think both mm-hmm. of those cards um, are just great options if you're looking to soup up your Crufix deck. Yeah, untapping the the non basic stuff. That's that's also that's pretty yeah. spicy. And Matt, I just I can't believe that you're challenging stuff for a Simic deck. You're usually so combat focused that this is uh, this is actually not Matt. I have been uh, kidnapped, and this is not actually me. I, no, I, I I just she like I said, she even comes like he finds all these random cards from Scryfall, and I see it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, Lee Weaver. I mean, it was from Battle Bond, and a lot of people. I mean, Battlebond's kind of old at this point, too. So, yeah, all those random uncommons from Battlebond and those types of sets probably got forgotten about. So I just want to give a shout out to Layweaver and Loreweaver. So nice job, friends. Man. So, okay, you just mentioned Battlebond right there. So I'm going to use this as a much more awkward segue to get back into our topic where we're talking about generally things that we hope to see in 2022. We went over some individual sets, but now let's go over some general stuff. And honestly, Battlebond reminds me of just like, once again, talking about reprints. I I don't know. I, I Maybe I just can't shut up about this, but like Battlebond lands, I would love to see those reprinted too. Like, uh, there's just so many opportunities for stuff. And specifically when it comes to like pre-cons, I would love to see something like the caliber of a battle bond land put into pre-cons because I just feel like they are so perfect for there. And we having a nice mana base, like a, a nice mana base is a big, difficult hurdle to get into for a new player. So a nice mana base like Battlebond lands, which aren't the, you know, tip top of the format, but still shouldn't be like 10 plus dollars. That would just be a really lovely thing to see in pre-cons this year. So let's, let's, let's talk about things that generally we want to see in 2022. Dana, I'll pass it to you. Do you share my love of Battlebond lands or are you going to talk about something else completely? I I love Battlebond lands. Um, (laughs) but I would say if we don't get those, um, I would like to see them maybe finish some of the in-demand cycles out there. particularly like the horizon lands um, named after modern horizons slash horizon canopy that the the ones where you could sacrifice the land to draw a card it's a really really good cycle and i would love to have the opportunity to put those into all of my edh decks so if we don't get a reprint somewhere on the line of the battle bond lands finish some of those good cycles i think that would be that would be something i would love to see them do more of okay okay matt anything for you uh so my most general hope for 2022 is 2021 was the year of the pre-con. I I shouted that from the rooftops. I just want to see more continuation down that path. I I love what the pre-constructed decks for Commander did uh, in this this past year. I want to see them keep progressing and and keep improving that. It was one of the best tools. I I love pre-constructed decks. I think they're one of the best tools to get players into the format. Uh, Keep making the format more accessible for new players. And so that means keep making these pre-constructed decks better and better. Uh, We've seen leaps and bounds of progress over the past couple of years with these. And just keep doing that, friends. Like Whoever is in charge of that, I want to give you a pat on the back if I ever see you, but also like keep up the great work. 
And specifically, something that especially resonates for me is the ways that those precon commanders have been crafted, especially more recently, I think of Will Helt, which I know that uh, Joey as a necromancer himself is really interested in the necromancy of a zombie deck. But specifically, Will Helt is a commander that has card advantage on it, but it's a card advantage that is at a good pace. Um, there are other commanders that provide good card advantage, like Kadena, for example, that also has a very specific form of card advantage. Or we've seen Tuvasa in the past, who has just a once-per-turn limit on card advantage. And those are the types of card advantage that I feel like are really useful to explore when it comes to pre-con commanders. Like, newer players running out of cards in hand and getting stuck top-decking is a really feels-bad moment that kind of prevents players from sticking with a game of EDH after they pick up a pre-con. So there's this really weird reality where we do actually want card advantage to come on our commanders, especially in pre-constructed decks, but we don't want them to be of the, you know, the Chulane or the uh, the AC style levels of card advantage, because that is far too much. So we do need to see like an amount of advantage there, but it needs to be paced more like we've seen more recently. Because um, I just think that a problem arises when Wizards of the Coast makes ACs and Tatiovas by complete accident, but then, you know, crafts an Audric the Bloodcursed on purpose and they're surprised when the community doesn't resonate with it very much, you know? <laughs> well, I think you're being a little generous, Joey. Uh, Tatiova may have been an accident, but they definitely knew what was going on when they just copied it for AC at that point. I that was, that's true. Oh, yeah, when, when they made it bigger and better and put a, put it on a 6-6 six, six body. Um, I, I did see a new player um, fairly recently playing with a um, AC deck, and in the hands of a brand new player, that was very much a... A, a, a solid kind of baby's first commander deck. <laughs> it, it is very, very useful in a new player's hands to give them that advantage. But you're right. They need to find a way to temper that so the new players can enjoy that kind of commander and, you know, not have to worry about top decking and have those, those things not ripple out into the format as a whole. When you first learn to bowl and they put the bumpers up in the lane, they take those down. <laughs> and once you like move on to bowling in a league, that's not a thing that happens in Commander. They don't like give you the AC card and then be able to reduce what it does once you get to be a better player. That's just permanently part of the game. So yeah, that's the kind of thing they need to be really cautious about. Although I would say I think they've been doing a much better job in the last year to 18 months than they were kind of in this window around 2018 where they were just like doing that Oprah thing. We're like, you get a free card and you get cards and you get four cards. Yeah, if, if there's one absolutely busted Commander per year, I think we're in pretty good shape. I yeah. think that's a very, very minimal hit rate. Uh, if that's the case, then we're we're doing just fine. Yes, it 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 can be a little annoying, but then, like you said, Dana, like new players, they have a chance to really kind of see what card advantage feels like. Okay, this is what I'm looking for. Now that once I, I depart from the specific commander, I know what to look for with other commanders as well. So it, it, I get it, but also I I do share some of your frustrations. Well, and, and so speaking of other legends there, Matt, this is actually something that I think Dana and I disagree about when it comes to the things we hope to see in 2022. Specifically, something that I would kind of like is to see just the fewer legends overall. Um, I think the Command Zone counted on their end-of-year wrap-up episode that there were 185 legends printed in 2021 and 186 from 2020. And for me, it's just feeling like too much and that they're kind of overshadowing each other a lot and that we're not letting good designs get enough time to breathe. But Dana, that's not a perspective that you share, and it sounds like you kind of disagree with me a little bit about that. So I, I want to hear more. I, I don't disagree with the point you're making. I, I 
totally feel the same thing 100%. I'm just not sure the downside is that big of a deal. Like, it's annoying. To, like, I used to, once upon a time, when someone would mention a commander, I knew what it did. That ship has sailed. I Like, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of commanders when someone says their name, I have no idea what they're talking about. And that is a little bit annoying. Um, and there's definitely a situation where, like, new commanders come out and they don't get a chance to get enjoyed and they're forgotten about in the hustle and bustle. That absolutely happens. But I also think they're giving a lot of opportunities for people to build new decks and build kind of weird, unique decks. And, you know, when they make Rakdos Guildmage into Bob Guildmage of Rakdos and there's no really <laughs> functional difference other than the legendary <laughs> tag and the name, the card's going to play the same way in the deck where I want to run it, whether it's Bob or Rakdos Guildmage. But when you name it, Bob, someone can use it for a commander. And I think the upside of providing opportunities outweighs the fact that I have no idea what you're talking about when you tell me you're playing Vendersplin of Wonder Falls <laughs> or something like whatever, you know, commander that probably came out that I just named that's actually real. You don't know. Listeners don't know. I could have named a real commander. They're not sure either. Nobody knows. So Bob and Vendersplin sound like amazing partner commanders. Yeah. I so, I mean, I, 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 I get what you're saying. I don't disagree with you, really. But I think the, the upsides probably outweigh the downsides. I, I just get the feeling that if everything is special, nothing is special. And that's the point where I'm kind of struggling with it. I understand why they why they would want to make so many legendaries to give people so many options. But it, it makes everything feel a little less special by being legendary. And also, my big thing, just trying to follow the storyline, you don't know who the main character is if there's a thousand players in the show like nothing gets to stand out that that's my biggest struggle if you if they want to make all these random uncommon legends that have minimal effects that that's fine um just, there's just so many moving parts and it's easy for stuff to get lost in the shuffle i mean it's, it's it, definitely weird in some planes where like yeah. hey here's my legendary gym teacher and strixhaven like i don't <laughs> know if there's a whole lot of flavor there compared to what you might see in dominaria but i mean oh i'm fine with that i guess and specifically for me, I wonder if there's really been enough time to balance out the legendary uh, consequences of some of those just suddenly being assigned as legendary status. And that also some of the opportunities are still not being taken when those opportunities are provided. You know, in Throne of Eldraine, we had the uncommon monocolored legends like Sir Conrad, which is like, my boy, I love that guy. But in that same cycle of legendary knights at uncommon, we also had Sir Alan the Lion's Claw. I don't even know what that card does. Right. <laughs> it's not good. He's, it's not real. He, he made it up, Matt. That's how, you, how much you didn't know. He <laughs> oh, that okay. That, that's that's why. Okay. So it just, it doesn't feel like those are necessarily the same caliber so that like the fact that there can be more legends is just, it's a way of saying commander players like more legends rather than like, I don't know, it becomes a quantity versus quality thing for me. And I, I think that some of those, some of the appeal gets lost when there is such a deluge of it. And specifically to Matt's point, you know, we recently got a finally a, after a decade, we got a good werewolf commander. And when we got them, people were really happy. And then immediately we were on to the next thing. And we didn't get enough time to, to cherish it and breathe uh, for that thing, too. So it's all it's all kind of wrapped into to those things. So I wish that, you know, this, op this presents opportunities that aren't always taken. And it also pre presents some complications that I hope are being measured. And there are complications. That is a good point, Joey, because, like, I've noticed situations where I'm running less clone effects in decks because I look at my list and I'm like, wow, of my I 21 creatures, nine of them are legends now. Like that, that it, it does actually impact some things. So, I mean, that's 
that is true. There are cascading effects from that kind of thing, for sure. So one thing I'm actually very curious about seeing is having some more just type of catch-up mechanics or maybe even just keep players from just snowballing and, and going and, and getting bigger and bigger and bigger type of mechanics. Uh, there were some cards that we saw in the past few years, cards like Confounding Conundrum or Strict Proctor, that maybe they weren't really catch-up cards. They didn't stop people from doing things, but they didn't really either... I don't know if they were trying to tax things or just keep them from pulling away, but they, I don't know if they just did enough, but I would like to see more exploration into that space. Cause I think cards like strict proctor, they don't stop people from doing things altogether. Uh, it's not a purely kind of stacks or, or tax type of thing. Well, it does tax a little bit, but it, it slows them down a little and stops one person from absolutely running away with the game, which everyone who's played Commander has probably seen at least a couple games where one person just hits the perfect draw and just steamrolls. So having cards like Strict Proctor or Confounding Conundrum, I would like to see explored a little bit more because I do think that when done right, they can be pretty effective without being absolutely backbreaking and, and unable to avoid. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um some way to stop green ramp, for example, or slow it up in a way that doesn't punish the rest of the table. Math land destruction might, I guess, technically work. But that takes on everybody else too, right? Like I'm not right. sure if yeah. that's a necessary solution. And that's before we get into the fact that the green player could probably recover easier than anybody else. Yeah, um, it's just like that's a lot of collateral damage. Yeah. And a green player probably has the RAM and app or some equivalent to right. the things back to. So it's just like, I'm not sure that that works. But yeah, the less collateral damage, the better. Yeah, oh, ways to punish those things without punishing the whole table. Yeah. Um, but, but that are also worth running in your deck, even if somebody isn't racing away with the ramp or something. It's yeah. a, I mean, it's definitely a difficult line to walk um, design wise, but like, I would like to see them find ways to do that. And and specifically, what's kind of an issue with some of those is that a lot of those catch-up style cards don't necessarily mesh with each other very much. You know, a Knight of the White Orchid, more of those effects won't work with each other. Once you've caught up, mm -hmm. you can't continue, you can't advance. They only ever help you catch up. And there are some designs that I hope are able to push past that more. That would be nice to see. I mean, that, that's one of the reasons Archimancer's map works so nicely. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it, it's a card that kind of stacks, even if you already have... Um, you know, a land tax or something in play, or you've already drawn that core cartographer or something, those don't necessarily render one another redundant, which is a problem with some of these catch-up mechanics. So, yeah, I, I think they may have realized that, and hopefully we're going to see them continue to make those mechanics work better than maybe what we've seen in the past. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and the nice thing about Archaeomancer's map, which I absolutely love, is even if you are still you know, staying afloat, it you don't need to catch up, but it at least helps you keep on par, yeah. which is another thing too. It, it, it helps you, if you are behind, it helps you catch up. But if you haven't fallen behind, it prevents you from falling behind. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think that's a great design. So yeah, more cards like Archaeomancer's map, I agree, Dana, would be a very welcome addition. It, it would, and yet I'm also personally hungry for something that pushes past that. Like I, if this is the way that White's card draw, for example, will be like, I don't know, the symmetrical card draw of the secret rendezvous stuff doesn't excite me. And the catch up versions of it also make me feel like I'll, it'll help me catch up, but it won't, it won't help me push far their past. And I, I don't know, an idea that I floated before for a possible 
potential solution for like the white card advantage issue is that like this could be a color that has achievement based draw if you happened to have a creature with triple its natural power you draw extra cards or if you happen to gain 10 or more life you draw a card something like just do an act of heroism and you are inspired and draw cards that way which feels like a very white way of presenting card advantage ah you legend you you've done this thing and that isn't just tied to well someone else is doing better than me and now i get to do slightly as good because that can sometimes not feel as exciting and i just when I want a lot of incentives to build a mono white deck, and I'm not sure that they're there yet because so much of it involves catching up to other players. And while those are good and can be expanded upon, I still want to see something that throws me much farther forward than them too. Well, and since we're talking about white stuff here, um, I also wish they would stop stapling their attempts at this to random 2-2 soldiers. <laughs> sure. Um, you know, I understand white is a, a creature color, but so is green, and every green draw effect isn't attached to an elf. But they really <laughs> insist on it in white, and that's not a lot of fun when someone's playing like a Lyra Dawnbringer deck or something. Like, hey, here's my Lyra Angels deck that has six soldiers in it because that's the only way I can draw cards. I, I wish they would diversify that a little bit and put those on spells or enchantments or something so you just didn't feel so so tied to playing creatures that might not really match what your deck is doing. And that so many of those contradict each other, too. Yeah. Mentor of the Meek will draw you cards if you play tiny creatures. And another huge part of White Slice of the Color Pie is anthems that make your creatures not <laughs> tiny. So they keep on contradicting. It's just like, no, give me something that meshes. Yeah, I, well, and one thing that you guys, you both kind of tiptoed on, but I really want to hammer home is incentivize playing less colors. Like, there's yeah. virtually no reason to play a monocolor deck in 2022. Um, I would like to see the return of, of, of good, worth-playing commanders that are monocolor, um, having some sort of reason to do that, like maybe tax you know, multiple, multiple, multiple uh, land types or whatever. I don't know how they want to execute it, but I would like to see a reason to play monocolor commanders because it really doesn't feel like there is much. Yeah. Well, not only wasn't there a reason to play monocolor commanders, there for a long while, they were very much encouraging you to play five-color commanders and removing all of the downside. <laughs> yeah. So like, hey, I, I know in this deck that you have access to every single card in the format, but let's make that as easy as possible, which makes zero sense, but they were doing that for a lot of years. I think they've kind of pulled back from that the last few years, um, but that was a thing for a long time, that that felt real bad when you you know would see basically them removing every downside to having access to everything so um I, i'm glad they've, they've kind of tempered that a little bit and i think the opposite needs to happen now like you said just give people reason to try monocolor decks I'm, I'm literally looking through EDA track right now, looking through all of the sets pages, trying to find a set where one of the top three commanders from the set was a monocolored legend, and I just can't find any. Yeah, so, uh, like well, the, the <laughs> so, last you know. time, the last time that a mono red commander you, was the most played commander was the original Theros with Perforos, <laughs> God of the Forge. Yeah, like that's that stat just blows my mind that there's virtually zero reason to be playing monocolor decks anymore, and even two color like. If you, if you have a two-color commander in mind, chances are there's a three-color commander that probably does whatever you're trying to do, except better. 
Uh, yeah, so re- it, providing incentives for playing fewer colors would be cool. And I would also like to see more incentives to make the high cost, like a seven mana commander, a bit more viable as well. Like I've always kind of wanted to build a Vishkal deck, but the fact that it's seven mana has always prevented me from really wanting to build a Vishkal deck because I might only ever get to cast it once compared to a lot of the commanders that we see these days, which are either reducing their own costs or end up being three, maybe four mana and are more consistently able to play them multiple times. So ha- having a way of incentivizing higher cost commanders is something that we've seen hints of this year with cards like Stinging Study that reward you for having a high cost commander. And I would love to see more ventured into that space for sure. Well, well, Joey, I don't know if you've heard of this partner, but Vile Smasher is quite good at (laughs) rewarding you for playing, you know, your seven mana legendaries. Just they have to be in the 99. (laughs) Okay. Well done. You've been lawyered. You're welcome. I've been lawyered. (laughs) Well, you know, we talked about giving things to white or doing a better job of giving things to white. Oh boy. Maybe let's I know where this is going. stop giving good things to green. Dude. And not even stop giving new things to green. Stop giving existing good things to green <laughs> where you're like, oh, this thing is good. So let's retroactively take it and give it to green after it's proven itself to be good. That so, That is a little bit frustrating, I think. Treasures being the most recent example that, yes. that jumps out of me. I'm so sad that the color that hates artifacts is now a color that regularly makes artifacts. Like, it doesn't make sense to me. More old knobbone, not good. Smothering Tithe is a bit of a menace in the format, it's true, but like it also scaled well to the size of the format, which is not a thing that I can say about many cards in white, and it also, it felt like it belonged there. Artificial mana doesn't make any sense in the color of nature. I don't like it. Don't give that to green. What is it doing there? See, I, I understand why food would be in the green sure. color realm, um, just because food is edible, life, etc. but I, I do agree. Treasures in green, mm. Well, in, in, in the Gnawbones thing was funny because people were like, well, treasures were part of green's color pie. Yeah, as of like a previous set, <laughs> treasures didn't show up in green until Modern Horizons 2, which was like three or four years after we first got treasures. Um, sometimes Watsy acts like the color pie is some kind of law of nature. Like, <laughs> hey, water's wet. What can we do? No, you, you can do it. You can <laughs> you can make that decision, and you did. Treasures weren't in green. They were in other colors, including white, prior to Modern Horizons 2. And then you decided to make them part of green, and your response was, they're part of green. What can we do? You you did it. <laughs> That's what you did. You could not do that. I find it very weird that there are only, like... Food tokens gain life, and gaining life is one of white's pieces of the color identity, and there are only like three cards in white that that make food tokens. One of them is Bartered Cow, which is a commander staple, Bartered Cow. Like, I don't know, just it feels like more of this token stuff could certainly go to white, and specifically it could be not given to the color that already does a whole bunch of everything. Specifically, one of the things that I'm most terrified about is for green to get more Legends Matter focus, because Legends Matter feels like a situation that could belong more to white to let it sculpt out its own unique identity. But green has gotten a lot like Colvori or, or things like that. Green gets a lot of rewards for playing legendary things or for playing Planeswalkers. And I'm like, but that could have been white's thing. Let's don't give it to green. It doesn't need it. Well, in, in much like Treasures, it was a thing that was proven to be effective in other colors. So it was then given to green. It wasn't like it showed up in green for the first time. That's the part that kind of baffles my mind is like, I don't understand why you feel the need to add things to green that weren't there when it was already very strong on Commander. Well, and sometimes it feels too that cards that were almost a mistake 
it by by giving them a little bit of that in green, then they're like, well, we did it in green, so we're just going to expand upon that and just run with it. But like, yeah, no. that doesn't mean you just keep making the same mistake. <laughs> you, you learn from your mistakes, and that's what we tell our children. Um, so can we please tell our adults? Dang. Okay. So, and, 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 and also, like, this has been a bit more of a critical section of the cast here. And I'll bet out there, like, we're all tired of listening to these points about green can do everything and white doesn't have enough in EDH. But it's been that way for like a decade and it's still an issue. And it's just like, this is the kind of thing that we hope gets a move on. Just just let these old been... men yell at the clouds. We'll, we'll be <laughs> done in a yeah. minute. No, absolutely. We're doing the old men yelling thing. It is absolutely. We're completely guilty of that. But I guess one of the reasons that it feels like we have a reason to feel this way is because we are told in marketing things like powerful white cards in the set. And then we get seraphic greatswords. And so it just, you know, there's this is still an ongoing thing that we hope gets improved upon one year will not solve it that is absolutely true but there are small problems that we've noticed over the course of time that we just hope can all begin to course correct in 2022 so a lot of waffling certainly a lot of getting some stuff off of our chest here but i don't know it feels cathartic to me i hope it feels cathartic to the listeners and not just aggravating um and also having talked about food tokens now, I kind of want to go have a food <laughs> token. Excuse me, I mean food. I don't eat magic cards. I did not phrase that. Very, I, I, very well. I don't believe you for some reason and call me crazy. <laughs> Mero always says do not eat the delicious magic cards. Jo Joey it's thinks delicious. that blue core are the most delicious of magic cards. <laughs> Black okay, core, so not so much. I've got, I've got, you guys are so silly. I've got um, another uh, kind of rounding it out question that I hope takes us more in a, like, oh, activate the excitement, uh, our expectations here, not just about stuff that we don't want to see, but also about some stuff that we really, really do want to see. And specifically, this actually comes from a very positive experience that I had in 2020 and 2021. In 2020, I was really looking around to build a black-white tokens deck. I just, I really wanted to build it, but I couldn't find a commander that exactly fit for it. And then we on the EDH Retcast got a preview card, Felice Reverent Medium, and she was everything I could have wanted and more, and she's my baby, I love it. Then in 2021, I was really looking at, I kind of want to play around with like goad stuff and combat manipulation, and not only did I get Cardor in that year, I also got Karazikar, and it's been so much fun to do that. So I guess here I want to ask if there is a specific commander space that you guys want to see filled. Are there, are, are there any gaps in your deck building arsenal that you hope 2022 will help you guys fill out? Um, I think in a general sense, um, I would like to see a little bit of bleed into kind of tangential colors for tribal decks. For example, in, in Kaldheim, we got, um, they really fleshed out black green elves and they kind of fleshed out white black angels. Um, there had been black angels before and there had been kind of black stuff with elves, but we, we really got that cemented as something you could play in, in that particular set. I'd like to see a little more of that. You know, you could very easily add more support to encourage playing black, red goblins or, or red, green goblins, for example, or you could add a little more support in white or black for merfolk. So, so white, um, blue merfolk or black, white merfolk is a thing. A little more of that. So like you can, you can see some maybe non-typical color pairings for, for those kind of specific decks. Interesting. Very interesting. I am not sure what to think of a black-white merfolk deck, but you have me intrigued, sir. Yeah, I don't know how that would work, but we'll let you, <laughs> we'll let you keep thinking that's going to happen. 
<laughs> there you go. Matt, how about you? Any uh, commander gaps that you hope 2022 will come along and find something that you've always wanted, maybe? So so my big thing, and, and Gavin Verhey, who works for Wizards of the Coast, has said a, a few times that one of their big points of emphasis is to make sure that whenever there's a new mechanic that is introduced in his set or a block, that there's, there's going to be a legend to accommodate that. So you can play uh, an energy tribal type of commander, which they if they could redo Kaladesh, they would have done. Uh, I want to see them keep doing that. So there, there's not a mechanic or a, a new tribe, for example, that doesn't have a commander so that you can really play with that. So if in New Capen, if they real deal like dialed in on the, the demon tribal that they've kind of hinted at, there's a proper demon tribal type of legend so you can play all those demons that were introduced or whatever it is, whatever new mechanic that they introduce um, in, in the Brothers War, there's a commander to go along with that. So uh, it just it's always kind of weird to see them be very excited about a new mechanic, but then you can't really play a, a deck centered around that mechanic because there's no commander to support it. So I hope they keep kind of emphasizing that if they introduce a mechanic, there's a commander to go along with that mechanic so you can properly play that in commander. That is, yeah, I I, I would also really enjoy that. You're right, the, the lack of an energy style commander does feel like, hey, we need that, we, we want that thing. So yeah, that is very much, I would love to see that continued for sure. I've got a weird one. This is my personal hope. The next type of deck that I'd be really, really excited to build is something a la Rat Colony, where you can have any number of those things in your deck. But I think that's an effect that really belongs in white. I would love to see a white version of that, like soldiers, that they all depend upon each other. The, the similitude, the organization, the self-buffing. Like I would love to see that as a thing that mono-white maybe branches into. So I want to see a mono-white version of like a Rat Colony style effect. I think I hope this is my year. Or Joey. Think about this. We can move that to green instead. <laughs> Dana, Dana, don't do this to me. No, <laughs> you, you're, you're right. We had four Boros equipment sets in a row in the past year. So can't wait to see 2022 with more Boros equipment. <laughs> no, no okay. hear, hear me out, Joey. Mono white equipment. Ah, never <laughs> been go. done before. Problem done solved. Before. No, I will not let you do this to me, Dana. We've had Rat Colony. We've had Persistent Petitioners. We've even had a red version of it with the Dragon's Approach. You know, any number of cards. It's it. I, this is this is the time this year. I, I'm I'm really hoping that there's going to be a new one, a new one for Mono White. I can I can feel it. I can feel it. Don't take this away from me. I am manifesting this into existence, Dana. <laughs> I'm going to foretell that you're going to be disappointed. No, <laughs> I, I drank the Magic Eight Ball water, Joey, and it said it doesn't look good. <laughs> Now, now I need to go to the hospital. I'll be back in a few minutes. Oh, brother, you guys. Okay, with all of that, with all of this dreaming about stuff that we hope to see in 2022, I think we ought to call this episode to a close. And of course, ask our listeners, what do you want to see in this coming year as well? We would love to know your thoughts, the things that you hope to see from the upcoming sets or from pre-cons, stuff like that. Definitely let us know in the comments. And fellas, if our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where is it that they can find us all? Matt? So you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55, that's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And don't forget, Wednesday evenings, we are streaming over at twitch.tv slash EDHRutCast. Wednesday evenings, we have guests on every single week. It's always a super fun time. Our guests are great. We're okay, but the guests are the real reason <laughs> to tune in. Um, so make sure you watch the games because they're always a blast.
And uh, Dana, put down that eight ball. Where can listeners find you? You can find me at the hospital for drinking the magic eight ball water. <laughs> also, I'm on Twitter at Dana Roach. You can hear me on my other podcast, CMDR Central. I'm writing articles for both EDH Rec and Commander's Herald. And you can find us all together at patreon.com slash EDH Recast. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter, and you can find the cast at EDH Retcast on both Facebook and on Twitter. Plus, if you've got a question for us, you can contact us at EDHRecast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to Josh Lequai and the whole team at the Command Zone for handling the post-production work on our podcast. And of course, we want to thank our sponsors, TCG Player and CardKingdom.com. Plus, you can visit Altersleeves.com slash EDHRecast for cool custom EDH Retcast sleeves. Listeners, we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. <laughs>